good to see you. My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at Ambassador, and uh, happy to be with you guys today. Uh, you know, today was a great day, and uh, let me tell you why. A couple things. I mean, great worship, great being together. It's it's awesome. It's kind of rainy. If you like that, it's cool. I'm cool with that. Uh, but this morning we were over in Anaheim, and we had some. Uh, uh, we saw the graduates there, and here we have uh, a graduate too. Uh, Jacob is growing, going into college, and I remember Jacob, you were much smaller when uh, I looked down on you, and now I look up to you um, in every way, height mainly, but lots, lots of ways. I'm, I'm excited for what God has done in your life. is exciting, and so that makes me happy. Um, Oh, also, over in Anaheim, we had a baptism today, and uh, we had five people baptized, and uh, that was really cool. We had one of our, our young bridge kids, um, Wesley Rue, uh, was, was baptized, and then we had some of our junior hires, so Alyssa Wong, Kat West, Megan Chow, uh, they were all, all baptized today, and then there was one kind of a, a, a last-minute baptism, and these are always, this is when it gets exciting. I've been talking to a guy um, for a while, and uh, he came to the baptism class, but he wasn't quite there. And uh, we kind of talked earlier in the week, and we we're like, you're not, uh, you know, I'm kind of not quite there. Um, mostly because I'm not sure where you're at with Jesus. I mean, church is good and all that, but, but where is Jesus? Well, this morning, about 8 o'clock, he shows up, he knocks on my office, and he has his baptism closing. He's like, what do I got to do to be baptized? I said, well, we need to trust Jesus. We need to surrender to him and uh, lay our lives before him. He's like, I'm ready to do that. And so a last-minute baptism, he came to Christ, and an hour later he was baptized. So cool things, cool things. Uh, that's Mike King. Um, but cool things are happening, you guys. And uh, the, the church is moving on. Uh, God is at work, and he's working in people's lives. And so I'm happy, happy to uh, just to be a part of this and see what's happening. I hope that you're happy to be a part uh, of this kind of uh, environment. It's great. Um, we have, a, we have a, a message today that was uh, kind of planned before all this, but it really fits well, I think, for particularly for uh, someone graduating high school, going to college like Jacob. I think it's a, it's a great message. And so, Jacob, I'm preaching to you today. <laughs> Don't feel the, the pressure at all. But honestly, this is a message for all of us. We all have to. I mean, there's, you know, there's transition points in life where, where you really, like, you need to hear things like this. And then, you know, some of us are in transitions, others are not. But we need to hear this message. And uh, my hope is that you are encouraged today. Where are we? Uh, we are in 2 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2. We've been in this chapter for about three weeks or so. And uh, it's probably one of the hardest uh, last three weeks as far as messages that we've ever had. Because it's all on like this darkness. And uh, we've had two messages on the Antichrist, you know. And so uh, there's, there's just a lot of hard stuff in this passage. Um, but today we're going to kind of change the tune a little bit. But let me just get you caught up with where we're at in this passage. Uh, as we start chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you see some, the people are questioning. The church is, has some questions. They are wondering uh, if they missed the most important day of all time, if they've missed the Lord's return. Paul talked about it in the previous book in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and in 5, he's talking about the, the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord is going to come, and you will not miss it. There's the trumpet call of God, there's the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise, the, those who are alive in Christ will meet up with the Lord in the air, and they're going to be with him forever. It was a day that they were looking forward to, but 
there were rumors spreading around. People said, hey, haven't you heard? Uh, we heard from pa- uh, the Apostle Paul that uh, the day of the Lord already happened. You missed it. And so they were troubled. They're troubled because they're like, well, you know, why do we miss it? Did we not do the right steps? Did Paul leave out a step? You know, was there like something we're supposed to do, like turn around three times and we didn't do that and therefore we missed it? Or was Paul wrong? Was he totally wrong? Either way, their confidence in him as kind of this spiritual leader that had brought them to Christ that they are trying to, uh, to learn from, their confidence has been smashed. And so they are troubled and they're worried. But then Paul writes and he says, hey guys, just, I, I know you've heard the rumors, but let me just set you straight. The day the Lord has not happened. You didn't miss anything. They're just rumors. I don't know who started them, but don't worry. And for the rest of the chapter, the last couple of weeks, he explained why. He's basically said, here's why I know that you didn't miss it. Because things are still too good. It's not evil enough. He says, basically, you know when the day of the Lord is going to come because it's going to get, right before it, it's going to get wicked, nasty, all right? There's bad things that are going to happen. He says in Ephesians, he talks about this, you know, we're not at war against each other. He says, we're at war against the, the powers, the unseen powers, the, those, those spirits of evil, all right, the demonic forces. That's, you know, who we're fighting. But in here, he says, but basically... That evil is going to be personified into a person. There's going to be a person. We call him the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. That person's going to be unleashed. He's, right now, he's restrained, right? Whoever that person is, we don't know, but God is restraining. It's, the time is not right, but at some point, he's going to be let loose. And if you think things are bad now, just wait. The crazy thing is they were experiencing persecution. People were dying for their faith. And he's like, it's not that bad yet. It's going to get worse. How would you like Paul at your bedside when you're sick to comfort you? <laughs> Those are not encouraging words. You're like, ah, it could be worse. You know, it will be worse. Someday you're going to die. No, he says it's going to get worse. But then at the right time, he says he's going to encourage them. He's going to turn it on. But up till now, we've had all this. So if you like listening to like... Uh, scores, you know, movie scores and stuff like that, if you're into that kind of thing. Think of it this way, like chapter two is this, it's a song of dissonance. It's in like a D minor or something like that. And there's just kind of chaos and there's no repetition and there's nothing beautiful to hang on to. And you got a whole song of that and all of a sudden it stops. We enter verse 13 and it's just this beautiful piano melody. It just kind of goes and floats along. That's what this chapter is like. And so today, I'm happy to tell you, we get to the piano melody, right? And I hope that you hear this, that you are encouraged. And it gives you some, something to hold on to. Now, I know that not all of us are struggling in that way. I mean, we see plenty of evil. We see plenty of nasty things. You guys watch the news, and you, you watch the news. Even the first three minutes, you're just like, oh, gosh, this world is horrible. It's tough. There's, there's so many bad things that are happening. There's selfish people that are out for themselves and they hurt plenty of other people in every way. Like we know there's tough things. We know that you get discouraged. I know that you, you doubt and you, sometimes you just say like, Lord, what are you even doing? Like the wicked people are always seem to be winning. 
What are you doing? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you answering these prayers? And I, I know we all have that. I know we all have these moments where, our, where we, we wrestle with all the darkness in the world and we just wonder, like, where is God? What are you doing? You can get overwhelmed with this. And so the question before us is, what do you do in days like that? What do you do when your days are overcome by darkness? What's the response? Well, Paul gets to it, and just to put it just straight out, two words, he says, stand firm. You just got to stand firm. You got to hold your ground, all right? I'll get to that in a few minutes, but before we get to that, he builds it up. And he doesn't just say, it's wicked, it's evil, there's satanic things, the Antichrist is coming, and stand firm. He's going to say some things in there that are going to help us to stand firm. There's going to, he's going to tell us some things that we can root in, that we can take confidence so that we're standing firm on God's word, okay? So that's, that's where he's at. That's what he wants. And his main point here is when Satan attacks, don't waver, don't be overcome. Don't lose hope, don't lose your faith, but stand firm knowing that God reigns and his love will conquer, right? His love will will conquer, okay? The first thing that he tells you is to remember God's deep love. Think about, meditate, remember, and dwell on the richness of God's love. It sounds weird, because it sounds like you see this, this antichrist that's hating everything, who's destroying everything, but the answer to that is love. But here's what he says. It says, after all that that's going on, after all these previous 12 verses, he says, but we ought always to thank God for you. Brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. I'll break that down. We'll talk about each part of that. But the first thing he says is, but, you know, in the midst of all that stuff, I'm thanking God. I'm thanking God for you. For you, we read that individually. So many of us, we hear that. We're like, oh, God's saying, you know, he's saying God for me. But, and that's true. But he's writing this to the church. He's saying this to the whole church. He's like, I'm thanking God for you because you, church, are loved by the Lord. You, church, the ones, the people that have spread some rumors that the day of the Lord has already happened, you're loved by the Lord. You, church, you're the ones that were kind of wavering and doubting and like, what's going on? You're losing faith. You don't have hope. You are loved by the Lord. All of you. Not just the perfect ones. Not just the ones that have perfect church attendance. All of you. Loved by the Lord. It's a powerful statement when you think about it. And that when he doesn't just say you're loved, he's saying all of you, regardless of your attitude, all right, your snotty words, you know, your pessimism and all that, you're loved and you're loved completely. Completely. Have you ever heard this before? It's a true statement. It was powerful when I first heard it. So there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Okay? There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. 
But on the flip side, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That God's love is powerful and it is complete. But just think about that. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. We try all of our lives to be loved more and more and more. Spiritually, we, you know, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I evangelize, oh, if I evangelize, that's really, God really loves me then. If I can do all those things, God will love me more. If we do that in our relationships too, right? We're always looking to be loved more and more, to have that love affirmed and all that kind of thing. We want people to love us more and more and more, and we act that way. We try to do things like that. You know, little kids do that, you know, when it's late at night and it's bedtime, and they turn on the charm, and they look at you, and they play with your hair, and they snuggle up with you. You know, I know they want to stay up late, but really they're just saying, will you love me more? You know, if I play with your hair, will you let me stay up late? You know, parents do it too. You know, I mean, we don't say it this way, but we basically are saying, if you clean your room, I'll love you more, right? If you eat the, the, food, the lunch I pack, you know, the vegetables, if you eat that, I will love you more. If you come home on time for your curfew, I will love you more. I mean, we don't say it that way, but we do that kind of stuff. We're always trying to get a little bit more love from others. But God right here is saying, you are loved completely. Each one of you. You might not feel like it. You might not feel it. You might be shamed or embarrassed or whatever. Like, oh, Lord, no, you can't love me that more if you knew what I did or what I thought. Here's a newsflash. He knows what you did. He knows what you're thinking, and he loves you still. This church in Thessalonica, well, they weren't perfect. They had their flaws, and they were loved by God. They were loved completely. So he starts with that. When he's like, then he describes it. He defines this. He says, he says, brothers and sisters, love by the Lord because, why? Because God chose you as first fruits. God chose you. First fruits, what's that mean? All right, basically, we don't have a lot of time, so I won't get into all that. There's different ways it can be translated. But basically, he's saying, he says, I've loved you and I've chosen you from the beginning. From the beginning. Before the world was made, before it was created. Some way back in eternity, I have loved you, and I have called you. I've called you. I knew you by name. I didn't wait for you to do anything spectacular or amazing. I just loved you. Before the world began, right? He chose you. That's a, if you're writing a, a love note to somebody, I wouldn't put those words in there because it sounds kind of creepy. You know, it's like, hey, I've looked at all, every girl or every guy, and I chose you, you know? People don't like that. It's like, what, you chose me? Come on, right? You can't do that. But with God, it's different. He's saying, I have chosen you. I didn't need you. I didn't need you to complete me, you know? No, I've read the Bible cover to cover, and I've never seen anywhere where God says, hey, you know, things are pretty good, but I was lonely. But when you came into my life, you completed me. Now I'm complete, right? I didn't do that. He doesn't need that. But he wants it. He wants you. He pursues you. Who doesn't love to be pursued, to be desired? God is saying, I have called you. I pursued you. I've chosen you. I hope you feel loved. I hope you feel special. 
he continues and he says, not only did God choose you as first fruits to be saved, but be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctification, for if you're not in the church or you're not caught up on your, your, all your theology words, that's all right. Basically, when you come to Jesus, when you put your faith in him, you're justified. Your heart's regenerated. You're given a new heart, right? Uh, a new heart, a, a soft heart. But then you begin this process of sanctification where you're becoming like Christ, right? It starts that day and it will end when you, be, when you enter heaven. You'll never get there totally, but God will take care of the rest when heaven starts. But during this process, we're being sanctified and we're, we're becoming holy. But it also has this idea of being set apart, all right, being claimed by God. You have been claimed by God. You've been claimed for a special purpose. Can I illustrate this for you? How many of you guys like chocolate? Okay, a few of you, good. Good, then this might work. Have you ever walked into a house and seen this box sitting there? It's a seized candy box, you know, and uh, you either, you get really happy, like, oh my gosh, there's all these chocolate, or you're like, you're, if you're pessimistic, you're like, all the good stuff's probably already taken, you know, it's going to be empty, there's going to be nothing in it. I was at my sister's house this week, and she had this box, I opened it up, and there's like four in there, you know, and it's like, you're like, okay, well, you know, then, then you play like, should I try it, you know, and you're like, this one looks like it might have caramel in it. Like, it might be good, and I, t- I remember I took one. It was, like, the biggest one in there. You should never go to the biggest one. Biggest ones are never good. And I didn't know, like, marzipan, like, eh, like, threw it away. I didn't even, didn't even enjoy it. But sometimes you, you open a box, and then it's great. It's, like, the best thing is when it's, like, it's full. It's full. There's dark, and there's milk chocolate and all that. And then you begin this process of, like, you look around, and you're, like, anybody watching me? How many can I get away with, you know? And so you look at it, and, you, you know, you kind of start on one side, and you're, like, well, that has walnuts. Nah, save that for grandma, all right? You know, that one, it's, it's that little stick, you know, the molasses stick, you know, let's save that for the kids. You know, that, it's round, so it's probably like a cherry, like, pfft, not eating that one. Marshmallow, that's not good. But then you get to that, like, that's like that, that peanut butter cup, you know? Like, th- that's the peanut butter, ah, I'm, I'm gonna set that aside. I'm claiming that one, right? And then like, this is that peanut, peanut crunch, like, I like those, and then like, Oh, it's like the dark chocolate Bordeaux, you know. That, those are the ones, that's the ones I want, you know. I'm going to put those aside, and I'm going to claim those for myself, for my good purposes, right, <laughs> to deal with them what I want, and I'm going to eat them. The rest of these, like, you know, you know, put them back. Somebody else can have these. Um, if you're hungry, come on up here and get them. Or come up here. I did this last service. I left them up on there, and I'm like, why did I do that? I'm smelling it. I'm like tempted the whole service, and I did it again now. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's that God is, is looking, and he's like, I'm claiming you. I'm claiming you. I'm pulling you. I'm setting you aside for my purposes and for my special reasons. I've got a plan for you. And as he pulls you together, he gathers you in this place that we call the church. The church, not just here in Brea, but all churches, all churches that ascribe to Jesus Christ, that follow him around the world. He says, I've called you, I've gathered you together, and I have a plan. I have you on mission. It's important to hear that we are not just used or tolerated or manipulated 
we are loved. And that we've been called and pursued and we've been set aside and we have a mission. So what he's saying is like, when all things look bad, look at the church. You think evil is alive? Know that the church is alive too. Know that God is working. He's calling these people. He's pulling them out. He's setting them aside for a special work. Don't give up. Just like the news, you know, the news leads almost 100% of the time with the bad stuff, you know, with the accidents and the crashes and the robberies and all that. We hear that. We hear that. You will hear about all the evil that's happening. You'll hear about all the crazy things that are happening. That gets press time. What doesn't get press time is what is happening in the church, the good things that are happening. But God is at work. And as long as you are with him, as long as you are in this church, you are part of this mission and you have great things to contribute. So don't give up, but stand firm. You are loved and pursued and called and you're on mission. What is that mission? It says, remember that we have an important role in God's mission, but what is it? He says it, it's real simple. I mean, if I were to ask you guys, you know, do a little survey, like, hey, what's our mission? You, get, you know, you could say a lot of things, like, you know, make and, and equip disciples, right? That's part of our mission statement. True, right? To, to go out, to, to be a light, yes, yeah, salt and light, all that kind of stuff. To, to reach the, um, the, the lost, you know, to love the orphans and the widows, to do good and all that. Yes, all of that is true. But here in this passage, Paul doesn't talk about those things. He does other places. But right here, he brings it down to one simple thing. He's like, here's what I want you to know. You're loved, you're pursued, you're called, you're on mission, and here's what the mission is. The mission is to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. He says this. He's like, in verse 14, he says, he called you to this this mission through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? What does he mean? Here's what he means. It's like your mission is to stand firm, to hold on, to not give up, and let Jesus receive you into eternity. No matter how hard Satan punches you, no matter how dark it is or how evil it is, nothing's going to keep you from the glory of Jesus Christ. If you've received Jesus, if you've believed in the gospel, Jesus died, he rose again, and he lives He died for my sins. If you believe in that, nothing's going to keep you from that. That you will obtain salvation. You will obtain eternity. You've got it. Satan will try to discourage you and knock you down, but he cannot take Jesus from you. He cannot keep you from eternity. He'll tell you that. People will tell you that. But Paul says, your mission, once you've been loved and pursued, is to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. That is our future. So when you're troubled and you're worried, remember the truth of the scripture. God has loved you deeply. He's put you on mission. And our mission is to stand firm and to reach heaven. Right? There's sometimes where it's very like proactive and you know aggressive and we're on the offense. But here he's like, hey, I'll take care of the offense. You just take care of the defense. You stand firm, you hold your ground, and I will see that you make it. Right? 
So he starts with that. Evil place. Nasty things are happening. You're loved. You're cared for. You're pursued. You have a mission. And then in verse 15, he finally says what you need to do. What you need to do. Now I've already told you already. But he says, stand firm. Anchor your life in the word of God. Anchor your life in the word of God. He says in verse 15, so then, brothers and sisters, now I'm wrapping it up. After all those truths, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And he's saying, hold fast to that. His letters, his letters contain 13 of the books of the New Testament. All right, the other books in the New Testament, the Old Testament, these are our instructions. He's like, this is what I want you to stand firm in. This is what I want you to hold on to. Dig deep into this. This is going to sustain you. I'm in the Air Force, and the Air Force, there we have the AFIs, the Air Force Instructions. Army has the Air Force Regulations. There's a Department of Defense uh, that has their instructions. Police have their, like, penal codes and all that. Like, all these different groups, they have these instructions. And I know, like, in the Air Force, like, it's, it, you know, anytime something comes up or there's a question, we're like, well, what does the AFI say? You know, let's go read it. And it's just, it's massive, right? But it covers everything that we need to know is in there. What Paul is saying is, like, these are your instructions, right? Just hold on to this. Check things. When you hear things, check it with this. When people say crazy things, check it. Say, that doesn't sound right. Let me, let me check it. When people say, hey, uh, God has already, Jesus has already returned. Say, well, seems like it's going to be a bigger news. Seems like the whole world will know. That's probably not true. People say, like we've talked about in previous weeks, like, oh, Jesus is going to return on such and such a date, you know? And we say, well, it says in here that nobody will know the day or the hour, so that can't be true. You see what we're saying? Like, this is what we anchor ourselves to. We stand firm, and as we stand firm, as we put our trust in this, we, we, we put our trust that God is in control. We put our trust that, that, that God is going to win, and we can be at peace with that. We know that this world is not the end, that there's an eternal life that waits for us. When we, we stand firm and we say that on my faith, even though I have my questions, I might have some doubts, I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to give up. All of these things we, is how we stand firm on this. When we stand firm, we have roots that go down and sustain us. Roots are what's going to hold us there. The beginning of chapter 2, when these people heard these rumors, they're like, oh, maybe it happened, and they were concerned. And Paul doesn't say this, but I will say this. They were like driftwood, just floating along, carried away by the wind or the breeze. But in the end, he says, I want you to stand firm, like a tree that's rooted and that will not budge. There's a place I used to go camping out, um, O'Neill Park. It's not far from here. Said, go down south to El Toro, turn left, and go all the way down. And there's a place down there that we go camping at. And one night we were camping, as when I was a youth pastor, and we had all these kids, we're in this little campground. And uh, middle of the night, we heard this breaks, a screeching, and then we heard this crash. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we got our flashlights and went out. And uh, there's this little two lane road, it's all dark, and there's a tree that's like planted right on the shoulder, like it's pretty much going into the street almost. It's like, you can't get more on the street than the street. It's right there. And this car came around the corner and then just smashed into it. The, the car was totaled. The guy was fine. But um, the car was totaled. 
And over the years, I've driven that, that road, and I've seen that tree. And that tree, it has no bark, you know, from like here to here. It has all kinds of scars. It's, it's probably totaled many cars. But that tree is still there. And I always wonder, like, how can, like, a tree withstand a car that's like 4,000 pounds coming at 35 miles an hour and still stand? Not once, but twice, three times. It's because it's rooted. It has its roots. And that is firm. And I think that's the image that he has for us. He's like, hey, guys, I want you to stand firm. And when you do that, you stand firm on the word of God. When you do that, you're going to be strong. And no matter what happens, you can withstand that. No matter what kind of blows this world will throw at you, you can withstand it. It might hurt, sure. You might take some some beatings or some whippings, but you're going to stand. You won't be defeated because God's got you. He's stronger than anything in this world. And all of that is built on what? On God's love. Knowing you're loved, knowing you're called, knowing you have a mission. So stand firm, know God's word, live by this, let your roots go deep, and hold your ground. Just hold your ground. And when the time comes, the Lord's going to bring you home. He's going to bring you home to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. You up for the challenge? See, it's different if God would have just said, hey, there's evil, stand firm. We'd have been like, well, stand firm with what? How do I know? But now we know that God's got us. He's watching over us.